We've been doing a church history series past couple weeks. Uh, I love church history, don't you? Uh, but those stories speak to me, and they have relevance to my everyday life. They have relevance to what we're going through in our culture, what we're going through as a, in Christian circles as well. So they're not just stories for the sake of stories. They, they have pertinence. The story I want to tell you today is about a young guy named Patrick. He was the son of a deacon and uh, grandson of a priest. And this goes back to the year about 340, 340, uh, early, early Christianity. But Christianity at this time is, is very Catholic. It's changed from the way it started. And uh, this young lad was raised in a Christian home. And one day he was out working in his garden. Probably keeping the birds away. He was out working around the house and uh, in what's now southern Wales. He's 16 years old. He's the apple of his parents' eye. And there's frequent tribal raids that are happening on that part of uh, Great Britain marauding bands of, of pagans who look like Vikings, big fur coats and horns in their hats and big swords and shields. And you can imagine all of a sudden they come riding up over this rise, running towards this little sturdy house where Patrick lives, and they, they want to rob the house and take whatever they want. They're lawless. They just do whatever they want to do. They feel there's no consequence for whatever they do. And they're men stealers. And so they stole Patrick. And they took him with them, took him on their ships back to their island. And, and for the next six years, he's a slave. Imagine you're just going on with life. You're just 16 years old. Everything is your whole future ahead of you. And all of a sudden, you're a slave. Not only that, you're feeding someone else's pigs. And you miss home, miss your family, your friends, your life, your church. All of it's gone. And they're pagans. They don't, they're not Christian. And so they have their own religion, their own language, their own food, their own culture. And all of a sudden, you're immersed in that. And a lot of the things that he was taught as a child came to the surface during that time, and, and, and he had to develop his own faith, and he had to develop his own relationship with the Lord. And that's, that's how he survived six years of constantly being woken, uh, woken up and beaten and, and uh, driven, driven to work, life of a slave. When he was 22 years old, he was in prayer, and he had a vision. God opened the eyes of his heart, and he saw this harbor and this ship sitting in the harbor. And the Lord spoke to him, giving him a direction to go in. And he left the, left the pigs, left the field, and he fled. And after several days, he came over this, this hillside and looked down, and there's the harbor that he saw in the vision, and the very ship that he saw in the vision. And he got out, he swam out, and they took him on board, and he's now free. 
It's a French-speaking ship. Uh, in this time, in everything in the Roman world, everywhere where there's a Roman footprint, people spoke Latin. And uh, so he gets on the ship, and uh, the ship's heading back to France, and they hit a storm, and the ship sinks, and, and uh, you can imagine, you, all you want to do is get home. And when that magnetic pull for home sets in, boy, it's, it's hard, to, hard to have any kind of delay or any kind of setback. And, and so the ship, the ship is wrecked, and, and the people make it to shore, and they get to, to France, and he still can't get home. And so he bides the time. There's, there's uh, monasteries, and there's uh, places of learning where you can go, and you can read the Bible, study the Bible. And so he passed some of his time in study, and when he found a ship that was heading back to uh, where he came from, he got on it, and he finally got back home and reunited with his family. Here's the long-lost son. He left at 16. He's coming back in his mid-20s, and he's home. And there's no place like home. And he's finally back in the embrace of his family, his community, his church. Here's his own language again. Uh, here's his uh, own dialect. Here's uh, gets to eat his mom's cooking. All of that would just be a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so now what? You're home. You survived. You're back. As he sought the Lord for his future and what he was to do, the Lord began stirring in his heart that he was called to be a missionary. And when he pressed in to find out where and to whom, he had a second vision. And here in the vision was one of the old chieftains, a pagan chieftain from the land that had stolen him. And the chieftain looks out to him and calls to him and says, come lad, walk among us once more. And here he feels a call to the very people who stole him, who robbed him of his youth, who took away his freedom, who broke his parents' heart. What an awful predicament that created for him because he had grown to hate them. They were his enemies. They were thieves who stole the best part of his youth from him. And so he had to work something out in his heart. If he's called by God to preach to them, to get among them again, he's going to need something, a transformation that only God can do in his heart. And he began to submit to a process of God uh, working out forgiveness working out the words of Jesus. and Jesus had spoken in, in Matthew chapter 5 that if you want to turn there, to verse 41, it says to love your, uh, not just to love your friends, but to love your enemies, to love your enemies. <laughs> what, a, what an amazing message that must have been for the first time and hearing, hearing it through Jew, uh, Jewish ears who have Romans all around them, pagans, a pagan government. And they're under the thumb, they're under the boot of the pagan rulers. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, you know, love your friends, hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. What an amazing concept, love your enemies. And Patrick had to let this down in his own heart. He said, in that way, you'll be acting like true sons of your father, you start loving your enemies, you'll be like your father. You'll, look, you'll be like one of his children. 
He said, he gives sunlight and he gives rain both to the just and the unjust. We don't really think of that, that. All the mercies, all the goodness, all the things that God gives, he just gives it across the board unilaterally, whether you're righteous or unrighteous. He said, if you just love those who love you, anybody can do that. Pagans can do that. Pagans can love those who love them. One time in the early part of my ministry, I felt like the Lord came to me and confronted me and said that my love level was too low. And I thought about it. My love level is too low. And I thought, I have lots of friends. They love me. They, I love them. I, I'm a friendly guy. I have lots of friends. And I, I, I was thinking this thing through. <laughs> and he just took me to this section of Scripture that anybody can love people who are friendly and loving and, and lovable. But when it came to me loving people who treated me bad, ah, that was a different thing. When it came to me to treat people nice who didn't treat me nice, that was, that's where I lost it. That's, wh that's what he was after, that I wasn't able to love those who didn't love me. And he said, you're, you're just no different than an unbeliever. Unbelievers can love those who are lovable. But when he put a dipstick in my heart, I realized it's true. He pulls it out and realized I could see it. My love level was too low. And he began working in me. And the, one of the ways that he does that is he allows enemies in my life, in my orbit, who treat me in a way that I don't like to be treated. And uh, you have to go deep. And it's, it's a work of grace. It's something that God has to do in, it, in you where you start loving people who aren't lovable Loving people who don't love you. Loving people who rob you of your freedom. Taking advantage of you. Loving freedom. Or loving people who, who take, who take and take and take. Hard to do. He says, but if you can do that, you'll become like your father in heaven. Who just gives and gives and gives. And there are people. I mean, he loved me. I'd hang out in bars and use his name as a swear word. And yet he came into my apartment one day, came into my now, and showed me unbelievable favor. And the reason I knew it had to be God, because I would never have pictured him that way. I would have pictured him coming in and, 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 and damning me for my behavior, damning me for the way I, I treated him, and the way I used his name, the way I swore, the way I led other Christians away from him. But instead, he shows me this incredible favor, incredible affection, I, I could never have imagined that. I was an enemy, and yet he was drawing me through, drawing me into his, his heart with affection. Even the heathen do that. What, a, what an amazing thing. There are Christians who want to be treated as mature. They want to be respected for their Christianity, but their love level is no different than the pagans or the heathens because of the way they relate to those who aren't lovable who don't treat them with respect. But he says here, the bottom line is Jesus saying, but to do this, to love at a deeper level, he should become perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. And the word perfect there in English, we use the word perfect when something's immaculate, when something's just 
perfect. But that's not the word here. That's not how he's using it here. He's talking about a depth of character, a kind of character. We would say maturity. And, the, and listen now, the way to measure maturity isn't age or how long you've been in the pew. It's not tenure. It's doing this. It's doing what Jesus said. That's how we did, can tell whether you're mature or not. It's, it's by doing this. I've met people who've been in the ministry for 30 years who are not mature because of the way they treat people around them. I've met 16-year-olds who are incredibly mature because of the way they navigate being robbed, being abused, being stolen from. Maturity has nothing to do with age nor time spent in the pew has to do with what we do with the words of Jesus when we're up against people who despitefully use us, reject us. So Patrick packs up his kit, says goodbye to mom and dad, and heads back to Ireland. And he happens to arrive on the, uh, a day, it's the, it's the highest day in the Druid religion. It's a day of total darkness. Everything has to be dark. And it was forbidden for anyone to light a fire, to light a candle, to light, to light uh, for your home or to cook with. It had to, the whole island, by command of the Druid high priest, has to be in total darkness. Patrick's response to this was to climb on one of the highest hills and gather wood and set one of the biggest bonfires he could build on fire. People could see it from everywhere. The king was livid and the high priest of the Druids, he was livid. Who, who wrote this? Who defied our, our control? Holding people in darkness. Who defied us? And one of their... Prophets came to them and said, you know, there's an old prophecy that's never been fulfilled that says that on this night, if we don't extinguish that fire, it'll never go out. And he who set the fire will be in control of you. And he'll have authority over you. And they couldn't put the fire out. They couldn't find Patrick until shortly after that, they found him, they brought him before the, the king, they brought him before the uh, high the high priests of the Druids, which are like witches, demanded to know why he did what he did. He didn't know all the rules. He didn't know what, the, what it was all about. He just knew that he needed to act. He needed to do what was right. He, did, he followed his heart. He set the fire, didn't deny it. And when he was brought before the king, he began to preach. And he preached Jesus. And uh, the king's son was listening and immediately had that kind of a Jonathan David affection that happened in his heart. And the king's son said, I, we need to hear this message. Everyone needs to hear this message. Everyone on the island needs to hear what you, what you just told us. And so they had a tent, and they got the tent, and they, they put it up, 
in different places, and Patrick would preach. He knew the language. He spoke the tribal language of Ireland, and he would preach. People would come to know Jesus, and life began to happen for the first time. It's like digging a well on the island of Ireland. And he preached, became the apostle to Ireland. Over the next 30 years, Hundred thousand people come to know Jesus. Three thousand were trained as pastors under Patrick's tutorage, and Ireland was transformed because of a young guy, probably twenty-five years old, found his voice, knew the gospel by experience, tasted the wonder of a transformed heart that comes through forgiveness. Can you imagine if, if Patrick hadn't forgiven? What if he said no? They deserve, they deserve to be punished. They deserve wrath. And he didn't tap into that forgiveness that, that springs from a, our own father's heart towards his enemies. And what if he hadn't forgiven? He wouldn't have been used. He wouldn't have come into his purpose. Ireland would have sat in darkness until God raised up somebody else. Today, the real St. Patrick is obscured by leprechauns and blarney stones and pouring green dye into the rivers, shamrocks and all kinds of nonsense. But the truth is, a young person by himself went out as a missionary with a heart full of grace and it changed a people. It changed a nation. It changed a people group. Isn't that an amazing story? What about you? What about your enemies? What about the people who've robbed you? Stole your joy. Your dream of happiness, your dream of a perfect marriage, your dream of having a business, having life. Who do you have to forgive? It may be that on the other side of that forgiveness is a purpose, a ministry, a whole avenue of grace for you to walk into and explore and other people becoming free because of your freedom. So often when people are hurt, what they'll do is they'll, they don't want to be hurt again, and so they'll, they'll grab rocks, and they'll put rocks around themselves and create a wall, a barrier, so that no one can really get close to them again, and, and they build this prison for themselves. They're not able to get over. I meet people like that all the time because that's the alternative to forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the most fundamental things to Christianity, yet we fumble with it, we struggle with it. Remember a time this teaching about forgiveness at a pastor's conference down in, in Haiti, and, and the pastors would come up and say, Should I do I have to forgive this? And do I have to forgive that? And you don't know what this person did. If this person did this, do I have to forgive that? And this was the cream of the crop, and they were just struggling with the 
idea of forgiveness because it's counterintuitive. It's not what, what we feel. It's what we want to feel is, or what we want to extend is vengeance. We want to get even. We want to make them pay. We want them to hurt the way we've been hurt. But to release them, to forgive them, and to forgive them the same way that we've been forgiven, that's what's hard. But that's exactly what Paul wrote to the Colossians, who were pagans, who he brought the gospel to and shared the Father's love with. And he says, you know, be tenderhearted. Instead of building those rocks, keep a tender heart. Be gracious. You can read this in Colossians chapter 3. I think it's verse 24, 25, somewhere in there. And it says, it says just as you were forgiven, just as Christ has forgiven you, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. I see people who are in bondage. They have no joy. They, they, they have no mission. They have no message because they've been strangled. Their life has been strangled out of them through unforgiveness. Let's be like our father. Let's be his children. Let's stand together right now. We've got time. That's a short sermon. Right where you are, who came to your mind? Who came to your mind? And I don't think in the next five minutes we can forgive everybody. But I know this. When I began to go down the road of forgiveness, I said, Lord, I, I want to live this way. The Holy Spirit would bring people and offenses that went back into my childhood People who, who had done things to me, and I would just stop and very intentionally, deliberately forgive them. Asking God that there be no charges held against them, that there be no consequences now or forever. That what they would, what they would experience is absolute freedom the way I received.